<laughs> okay. Woo-hoo. Both of a big scoot. <laughs> okay, at least we're getting it out now. <laughs> Woohoo. All right. Um, hi, and welcome to Dead Mom Society. The club that nobody wants to be in. We get you. Let's do this. I'm Kate. I'm Mel. And we're just two girls dead moms, and we're trying to figure it out. And we want you to figure your stuff out, too. Yeah. And we want to be here for all the stuff. Yeah. We want to be a part of your figuring stuff out yeah. situation. Everybody's got stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Mel? Yes? How have you been since we last talked? Well, I've been not great. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I've been on a little bit of a downslide for the past like month. And then I've just, this week and last week have been really rough. So I'm kind of, no, and that's like a super frustrating thing for me. I was just thinking about that, especially for me, because I'm like a very type A personality. So if there's no direct problem, then there's no solution. So it's like, I'm just like sad for no reason or all of a sudden crying or just kind of barely hanging on right now. Yeah. It is frustrating. It's frustrating. You can't figure out like what you need to pay attention to to kind of get you out of that place. Yeah, very strange. I feel like I'm super aware of how it feels, but not super aware of why. Mm-hmm. It is that what I call my grief season, mm. where it's like those four death dates in a row, and my mom's is the last. So it's like, oof, here we go. Yeah. So that could be part of it too. Yeah. Ugh, it's a terrible marathon to be a part of. It's not fun. It's not a fun marathon. It's not a fun marathon. I mean, no marathons are really fun. No. Even though you've already you've done an actual real life <laughs> And that marathon. wasn't that fun. So. <laughs> the real life the the real life marathon is not that fun either. <laughs> yeah. So it's weird because even like almost three years later, you can like I woke up today feeling the exact same way I felt the day after my mom died. Like the exact same amount of sorrow and like the exact same oh my gosh just it it was like I was brought back to that moment so it's very strange and for no reason I had the best day ever yesterday so what are you gonna do you think it's maybe part of it you guys have such a good day it could be yeah it definitely could be yeah it's almost like when you go into therapy for cb like with cbt They ask you to like track your moods for two weeks or something like that because that helps you understand what could be triggering something. So I usually do that, but I do think that grief is one of those things that doesn't even have to be triggered. Just lives inside you and decides when it's going to act up. (laughs) Mine's throwing a temper tantrum. Settle down, you grief. Settle down. Take it easy. (laughs) Here's your binky. Come on. (laughs) Go take a nap, (laughs) goddammit. Right. How have oh. you been this week, Kate? Um, I've been good. I am in a season of transition, yes, you are. Um, which is very exciting. Um, I am moving to Scotland. That's not how you say that, <laughs> but I'm moving to Scotland. Um, I've wanted to do this for a while, and I told my mom before she passed that I was going to do this, and it just now is the time. Everything is just I'm I'm I don't have anything. We're riding on me. I don't have much relying on me, so I'm able to kind of just do this and take a jump. So I'm going to go take that jump. Uh, my leave date is April 7th, <laughs> and I just finished my last shifts at the distillery that I worked at, and then I, my last like week of work is this week, which is crazy. Oh, I know. So it's it's been it's been super exciting. Um, it's been very emotional. 
Mm. Very emotional. But it's been good. And I think it's just one of those things where I have really paid attention to myself in this last Mm -hmm. year of my life. And I'm really excited to continue that paying attention to myself, but also in a place that like is really unfamiliar and um, kind of scary and new because I feel like uh, maybe some parts of myself that I haven't quite discovered yet are going to come out. But also, even if like I don't have any self-discovery, I'm just excited to go just live a little adventure. So yay! Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, it's transition season, so it's it's definitely a little bit strange. It's a little bit stressful. But the cool part is this whole trip is like it's not it's purposefully nothing is planned out. Purposefully, I have no fucking clue what I'm going <laughs> to do when I get there. So I think that's kind of. Um, it's, it's very unlike me. It's very unlike you. Yeah, it's very unlike me, but I also think it's going to be um, a really good break yeah. <laughs> from my mind. <laughs> it is. I'm hoping. So. And you're going to discover things about other places and people too, which will be yeah. really refreshing. Yeah. So looking forward to it. We will, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how... Uh, I am affected by the change and like and by mm-hmm. like the lack of community and stuff that I'm gonna have out there. But I'm super excited and yeah, that's that's kind of what's on my mind right now. All right. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but we are super excited about this coming episode. Oh my gosh, so excited. It was beautiful. Brace yourselves, buckle up. Yeah. Grab a tub of ice cream. Yeah. We both cried. <laughs> we both literally sobbed, which we, we have not done in one other no, episode. No. And we think it's because we interviewed someone whose mom passed. And you'll hear all about how um, we know this person, but it was, it's just, it's a cool, it's a cool episode. And it was very impactful to both me and Mel. So we're super excited to hear, for you guys to hear it. And you get to get to hear us sob. Oh, <laughs> yay. Lucky you. <laughs> I hope our sobs sound pretty. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'll be listening personally with a glass of red wine and... Yes, yeah. in a cozy robe. Mm-hmm. Probably. <laughs> Light some candles. Yeah. Have a tissue box. Yeah, but also, I mean, jokes aside, this is like seriously probably one of the most... We learned so much. We say this every time, but honestly, Meredith, who we interviewed, she's also a therapist mm-hmm. and also as a yoga teacher, which mm-hmm. is like two of those things that you just, she's so in tune. She's so in tune and so eloquent in the way she describes her experience with grief mm-hmm. that it just pulls you in and really allows you to visualize it. Yeah. And she's also human sunshine and just human sunshine. So oh. we had a really nice time chatting with her and we hope that you guys enjoy listening to our conversation. Yeah. Have fun. Here we go. It's going to be great. We all had very cool, wise moms. <laughs> yes, we do. All right. Okay. Well, today we are here with Meredith Antonucci, and she's the coolest. And we're super excited to hear about her journey with her um, her mom and how that kind of relates to maybe what she's doing today. Mm-hmm. And um, Meredith, if you want to take it away, give us a little bit of background on yourself, a little bit of background on your mom, tell us your name, all that good stuff. Yeah, just casual, loaded questions. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm Meredith, and where do I even start? I mean, I'll start a little bit with my mom. So do I, should I just go right into it? Yeah, like, yeah. Just right. delve in? Okay. Anything you want us to know. Oh, here we go. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, mom was, you know, lived in New England her entire life, such a New Englander, um, was such a sweetie, lived in the same place for so long that she cultivated such a huge community um, throughout, you know, just for so long, was a dental hygienist. Mm -hmm. So I like to joke that she knew how to talk because she kind of developed talking while having her hands in people's mouths. (laughs) So we'd be like, mom, you're just still talking. Okay. (laughs) Um, And yeah, just like charismatic. But yeah, so I mean, a big, big part of my story is you know, my mom was such an integral role in my brother and my life. She worked part-time, so the other time she was just, like, with Nolan and I, and it was, you know, looking back on it, just time that I would, you know, yeah, just adore <laughs> and treasure so much. Um, but obviously why I'm here is that we're coming up on eight years of her death. Um, she died May 17th, 2014, um, very unexpectedly. So I have, like, two segments of my life. I have the time that my mom was alive and then I have the time that my mom is gone. Mm -hmm. Um, and my life really feels segmented in that way. Um, before I delve too deeply into that, I mean, my mom is a huge reason as to why I do what I do in this current moment. (laughs) Um, so I am a yoga teacher, I am a yoga therapist and I'm a somatic therapist, meaning that I am a kind of somatically oriented mental health therapist Um, For me and my grief journey, which I'm sure we're going to get on into, (laughs) um, two really, really integral pieces were moving my body and talking through it. And I was so confused as to why they were segmented. Like I would talk with a therapist and it was so brain oriented and then I would do yoga and then I would actually like feel some of like what I was actually experiencing. And I kept wondering like, why are these two things so segmented and like pulled apart Um, so yeah, we'll get into the details, but a huge reason why I do what I do is because I lost my mom and it shattered me and I didn't know who I was and I needed so much support and guidance. And like, I really firmly believe that you like grieve in community and can't really do it alone. Um, and I've had so many amazing people like be there with me along the (laughs) winding, 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 seemingly never ending road. Um, and yeah, I mean, in like, yeah, huge, huge reason why I chose somatic therapy in general is that I just, I wanted to bring those two aspects together. I was like, I want people to feel more um, in their bodies other than intellectualizing their feelings. And yeah, I just, the space that was held for me throughout my process was actually life-changing and life-affirming. And so if I can offer a fraction of that to anybody else, awesome. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Oh my god! Already blown away. <laughs> Already <laughs> have so many questions so and many. so many things I want to talk about. Oh so excited, god. mesmerized, and excited <laughs> at the bit. same time. A little bit blown away. Um, well, starting, just can you tell us a little bit about um, like your family dynamic? Mm-hmm. And I know you know it's painful to talk about, but maybe kind of um, what happened surrounding your mom's death. Like, mm-hmm. where were you? I know you weren't living yeah. in the same place as her. Um, kind of just give us some of the nitty gritty yeah. before we kind of yeah. delve into your grief journey. Yeah. Um, so like I said, coming up on eight years. So I've actually spent the past week or so doing some reflection and preparation for this. And part of me is just like, damn, it feels so long ago. And it's such a different iteration of who I was, <laughs> you know, back then. Um, so ultimately, my mom had a routine knee replacement surgery. Um 
that was on a Thursday. Everything went fine. Kind of um, like I guess routine protocol is that they stay overnight and then you get discharged like very early in the morning. So that all happened. And then that Saturday morning following her surgery, I had actually spoken with her on the phone because Mother's Day um, was coming up or had just happened or something. And so I was actually, it's like ironic slash interesting, I guess, but I was about to lead a yoga class um, at Lululemon and it was like Mother's Day inspired. And so I like had this whole theme of nurturance and like nurturing yourself and caretaking and heart opening and all of that. And I had called her for a brief call. And like I had just mentioned, my mom could talk. Um, and so I like distinctly remember I was like walking into the, you know, the space and I was like, mom, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. And then Um, She was definitely a little groggy. She was on pain meds and a PT was going to come over a little bit later. Um, And I ultimately kind of had to cut her off. I was like, mom, love you. I'll call you in a minute. Bye. Like, because I mean, I could have been there for another 20 minutes. (laughs) Like, I think everyone did. Yeah. I was (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, fast forward. So I, I taught that class and then I drove over I didn't have a car at the time so I was using those little like mini smart cars that we used oh, to yeah. have around Denver yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. so car I to go yeah exactly. <laughs> car to go but like an old little relic of the past and, um, so I like took this little car to go over to another yoga studio where I was going to be on desk for a while and I knew that my dad like knew my schedule it's like a Saturday I'm like I work all day um I was on desk. I see that I have a call from my dad and I like immediately click end because I'm just in that moment. I'm like, oh, dad, I'm working, you know? Yeah. Um, I get a text message right away and he's like, mom's in the ER. Call me. So heart sinks in that moment. Just, yeah. And then I was like, what? So I. Why do dads do that? I know. I know. I know. know. Double call. I know. I know. I don't even know what the right answer is, honestly, at that point. Like, I was just like, okay, like, what? So I call him. His voice is, like, small and shaky, and he's just like, okay, um, we think mom had a heart attack. She got rushed, you know, in an ambulance. She's in the ER. And then I could tell it was really bad. Like, his voice was just shaky and cracking and felt really disembodied. Um, and he was like, they're working on her, Mary, they're working on her. And I was just like, okay, you know, and my mind's going a million miles a minute. Like, what are we even talking about? Um, so I rushed into the back of the studio to find one of the like spa healers to be like, can you cover the desk for a second? Mm -hmm. I need to leave. Um, and I just like did a loop around, around the block. And basically like in that time, I, like, I remember distinctly, I like fell to my knees and was just like, what's going on? I saw a yoga student that I know across the street. She's like, Meredith, are you okay? And I just said like, I just heard bad news and like stood up again and was like, I got this. Um, And then in that time period, we're still in like a liminal space. Like I have no idea, you know, like I know they're working on her. I know it's dire. I know she hasn't passed yet. Like just so confused. Meanwhile, I don't have a car. So I'm like calling my best friend being like, can you pick me up? She's like, my car's in the shop. They gave me this rental. I'll be there as soon as I can. Um, Yeah. And then... In that time frame, I mean, what's going through my head is like, can I just like scream to the universe or like so-called God and be like, please, like, this is enough of a wake-up call already to be in this liminal space. Like, I'll do whatever. Like, I was like, just, yeah. Um, And then I remember my friend, my best friend, Amanda, she picked me up and we're in this like... It was probably like a 92 or 93, like kind of like a Buick, like low rider. Like, I just like distinctly oh remember it. This like, like a low boat. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> seriously, like probably like six inches of clearance. Like I don't know, like shouldn't be driven um, in this like dingy navy blue color. Like, I just like so distinctly oh remember God. it. Um, I'm in the passenger seat and then 
we're driving and I remember exactly which intersection we were at. I got a call from my dad and somehow there was a missed call. So I like missed my dad's call. He left a voicemail with what had happened. So I still have that voicemail in my phone. It is the most, <gasps> I know, heart wrenching, heart shattering, like whew, call still there. Can't touch it. It's there. Um, but I call my dad back immediately. And I mean, he tells me, he's like, he's like, Meredith, she didn't make it. Um, like, and then you could tell, I mean, it was just like, he was just speaking words. And then I just remember both, like I dropped the phone. I was like, I'll call you in a bit. I like smack my hands on the, um, whatever that's called, the, dash- the yeah. dashboard. Mm-hmm. And all I could say was no for like 10 minutes. My friend was like, where do you want to go? I'll drive wherever. Where do you want to go? Um, I was like, I guess to my house, like, I, you know, just have no, no idea what to do. And, um, so yeah, I mean, everything just shifted and I mean, in that moment, like, you know, like I said, I had, I had one iteration of my life and then I had a new iteration of my life. Um, following that is like this combination of like surreal joy. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I just been picturing it. And that's just oh, a lot. That's yeah. A lot. That's it, a lot for a person to. It's just really like mind boggling, heart boggling, just, whew, you know, in a, like, it's genuinely like in a moment, everything shifts. Yeah. Everything changes in a single breath. And, um, so ultimately my friends are amazing. Um, I, you know, called a couple of people and then it was domino effect that people knew, you know, and all of a sudden it was just like this gathering in Denver and it was this beautiful spring day, you know, May 17th. It was gorgeous, like bright verdant green everywhere. Um, we decided we all went to Cheeseman. Um, people brought like fruit and wine and it was just like gorgeous and everyone's together. And, you know, in retrospect, it's like I can remember my friends' faces. Like as I kept like seeing people would just kind of keep joining, keep joining, keep joining until there were many of us and, you know, just horror stricken on their face. And meanwhile, I'm just like this kind of robot. Like, okay, so my dad called me and this happened and she was in PT. And then there was, you know, just like going through the logistics with like kind of a smile on my face, so disembodied, just relaying the only bits of information that I had at that time. Um, Yeah. And it was, I mean, honestly, it was a really beautiful, sweet day. Like Mm -hmm. my now wife was there and we were like doing acro together. And I just remember being like, I don't know what the fuck is going on right now, but like in this moment, things actually feel okay. I had talked a little bit with my dad and brother again and basically had decided like there's no reason to rush to get home. So I decided to get on the red eye flight. Um, I found out around like 1 p.m. or so. So there were still many, many hours until the red eye at like 10 or 11, whenever it was. And um, and every Saturday I, you know, taught a yoga class at 5 p.m. And so I actually called the studio owner and said, like, I'd like to teach if you'd let me. She was like, are you sure? Like, please, you don't, you know, I could just tell she was kind of confused. And I was like, that's actually the only thing I know how to do. Like, please, can I teach? Um, Yeah. So I taught that day. It was (laughs) something. It was really something. Um, I still remember, I mean, I taught that class around, um, there's a yogic concept called Abhinivesha, and it's one of the kleshas, and the kleshas are like obstacles to like happiness, enlightenment, joy. Um, and abhinivesha is the fear of death. So it's this idea of like the more that we're afraid of death, the more that you know you actually are limiting your living um, and your capacity to feel and experience joy and you know abundance. And um, once again, very robotic. 
though. Mm. Like I had it from a very conceptual perspective Mm. and, you know, we did a lot of like breath retention and um, because when we hold the breath, it's like these mini deaths that we start preparing and practicing for the big goodbye. And in retrospect, it's like, once again, I have these imprints of like my friends' faces and like just, I mean, they, they had already started to digest the information and I was like realistically months and months and months away from like any sort of felt sense of like she's gone but I will never forget that day where um the studio that I taught at the Freya project two of the walls were all windows okay so like I remember in I had them in Shavasana and it was like almost as if like my name had been called or something like I just like quickly turned my head towards one of the like the glass windows and it was like the most gorgeous like Colorado glitter sun rain so just like I know bright 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 sun coming in through these windows and then just like sheets of like glimmering rain and it was actually in that moment where um there like I said there wasn't a realization by any means but there was like this ping of like something massive just happened um and that was like the first little glimpse of like whoa like mm-hmm. that this is this is big <laughs> um once again like no semblance of the understanding of what had just happened um yeah and then I let's see my friends were amazing they helped me like pack a bag I remember being like what do I wear and they were like we gotta get you something black like I don't know and you know and my friends just like helped me pack everything we just like sat on my bed with a handful of us and they basically packed my bag well we ate pizza and then they drove me to the airport and um I've actually learned since that my, like I said, my not even girlfriend at that point, but now wife, um, she says that as I was walking into the airport, it was the moment that like she knew that I, like she knew that she was in love with me. And so it's like, wow. so we'll talk Oof. about this, but so much of my grief is paradox. It's earth shattering heart, just breaking in every possible way and at the same time falling in love with a really really spectacular human yeah um so that's may 17 2014 i got home to boston around 6 a.m um didn't sleep for a second on the flight i was in the fetal position in the middle seat crying and like probably just naturally letting out sighs and wails and like two men on either side of me said nothing um and my brother and his best friend, who's basically a brother to me, picked me up. Celis, um, my best friend's brother, drove. My brother, like, crawled into the back seat with me and just held me for an hour, like, from Boston to our home in Manchester. And the sun was rising over Boston, and I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Um, came home. Many of our extended family was there. Once again, just grief-stricken, horror-stricken faces. And I'm like, hi, how's it going? You know, like, what's up? Hi. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I really distinctly remember from that morning, like, I asked where my dad was, and they were like, I think he's finally getting some rest, and, you know, I walked upstairs, and, uh, um, an image that still kind of haunts me is he was, like, above the covers on my mom's side of the bed, like, in the fetal position sleeping, and, yeah, it's something I think about a lot, and my heart breaks in a whole different way for him, yeah, so that was, like, the whirlwind of, like, I had a previous life, and now that it was, like, the very, very, very beginning of an entirely new life. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> that yeah. is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that is so much of what you said, just, like, 
I think we're emotional right now because it's mm-hmm. just like, it's very striking mm-hmm. when a lot of what you just said is so striking. And I think yeah. it's interesting because a lot of what you were talking about, my moment, the end of my life and the beginning of mm-hmm. my next life happened when I was in Paris yeah. when I found yeah. out that she was going to die yeah. because Absolutely. I became, I was her daughter mm-hmm. until this day. Mm-hmm. And then I became the person who was going to help her die. Yes, And like yeah. there, you know, there's a change when she did pass, mm-hmm. but like the actual start of my new life yeah. was that day, yep. which is really interesting. And yep. I mean, just like what you said, the day that I found out was one of the most beautiful mm-hmm. days of my entire mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And the day of her funeral was like one of the best yeah. days of my life. And yep. it is such a paradox because mm-hmm. you, you understand that this is finite and this is it. Yeah. And it's the most painful yeah. It's, it's you can't put into words what you feel, mm-hmm. but you also understand the beauty of life. Yes. You are surrounded by love and tenderness and you're taken care of yeah. and you see the best of people. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's such a weird dynamic situation because you're like, I've never been more sad yes. and I've never felt this great, like crushing sense of life before. And yet I've never appreciated life more. Exactly. It's so interesting. Exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. No, I mean, the paradox is just, it's so present. It's like, because in that moment, everything shifted, everything also, I shouldn't say everything, (laughs) many things became crystal clear Mm -hmm. as well in that moment. It's like all of a sudden this like illusion. And, and honestly, for me, it was this, like, I call it like the bubble of invincibility. Like I just, I lived up to, you know, 22 and I just... I had a really awesome life. There was a lot of privilege, a lot of like joy, a lot of ease. Um, you know, I, I remember, so when I first started dating, like I said, my now wife, um, you know, we're asking the questions like, how's your family? You know, like, but what are they like? And I remember saying they are perfectly boring because that's how it felt. It was stable. It was easeful. It was like the greatest. Um, yeah. And then, you know, then that that little invincibility bubble was popped and all of a sudden like like I said there was there was some clarity in a lot of ways there was so much love present people came out of the woodwork um I did I felt held I felt cared for I people really like carried me through that and it's even like it's even more like palpable actually in retrospect um, of how much people carried me through that time of just being completely like 22 and shattered. Mm-hmm. That's young. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> how long did you stay at home before you came back to Denver? Yeah, I was there for about two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all just a blur. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many logistics. Um, I remember, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The worst. <laughs> yeah, I just losing them wasn't enough. Exa- like, exactly. Now we're planning an yeah. event yeah. for many people. For many people. And I remember even like this like surreal moment. We were like at the funeral home and then they like they like I don't know if it was like lifting a curtain or moving some wall or something, but it was like a wall of urns. And they were like <laughs> I'm not kidding. And it was like <laughs> blue urns, purple urns, gold urns, like embellished urns. And I I started laughing. <laughs> I wordly laughing. I would and, too. I, and then everyone like looks at me and I was just like, I was like, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> you know, so like there was so much oh absurdity inside of it. Um, and I will say like that funeral director, um, I still remember his name, Gary, what a gem. Like, I just oh, think about the people wow. who are willing to 
to help carry people through this unimaginable time in life. And he was respectful and sweet and like empathic and like so wherever you are Gary thank you um the best. <laughs> like genuinely um and there's just like there just just logistics after logistics after logistics and I think that we it was good in a lot of ways we immersed ourselves in the logistics and we you know writing obituaries and funerals and like you know the ceremony of the funeral and whatever and making sure everyone knew and yeah all all of the pieces and my brother even my brother and I even joked that like I don't know if it was right after, like maybe that week after, or if it was later, but somewhere along the way we were joking that like, we almost felt as though it was like a video game. So it was like, you okay, as long as you do really well and you like do the funeral well and you do this well and like everything is like proper and you're done, then you're like, okay, can we have her back now? Like we're good. Like we did all of like, we, we, went yeah. through, we went through all of the levels and we like did it like, yay. And then we remember that like, that just like dropping feeling after everything was done. It was like, now what? Like, mm-hmm what happens now? Mm-hmm. Um, people were starting to leave town. You know, it's just this, like, it really felt like the floor falling out. It was like, now what? Now you just have um, to live. Yes. That's just and life. it's like yes. the hardest thing in the entire world. Hardest thing. You just get slapped in the face. Yeah. Because there's so yeah. much to do and there's not much to think about. There's all these people and it's overwhelming and you're like, oh yeah. my God, okay. Not even starting to think about what's going to happen after. Yeah. And then that day is done and like you said, yeah. people leave and they say, you're going to be fine. Yep. You're so strong. Yeah. We're here for Good you. job. You need it. Yeah. And then they never speak to you ever again. Ever again. Yeah. And then you're just like, ever again. oh, I don't have a mom anymore. Yeah. And like, okay. what the hell? Like, what, what it like, mm-hmm. I didn't know what was up, what was down. I didn't know what was going on. Like, just. Well, and mm-hmm. something you said yeah. um, earlier was when you were driving into Boston or into Manchester mm-hmm. and you saw the sunrise over yeah. Boston and you said, what the fuck? Yeah. It's that yeah. feeling again. Yeah, exactly. Because you're like, wait, yeah. the, the sun is still rising. Like, yeah. everything ended. It's not like we get yeah. to be in this loving circle, kind of like your invincibility bubble mm-hmm. you had before you lost her. Mm-hmm. There's another invisibility bubble, I think, that forms yeah. when you're in the aftershock. Yeah. And people are surrounding you, and, the, and they're always with you, mm-hmm. and they're taking care of things, mm-hmm. and you don't really have to worry about mm-hmm. what comes next yeah. because they're already thinking about it yeah. for you. Yeah. And then after the funeral and everything is said and done and then people start mm-hmm. going home, it's like that bubble bursts yes. so hard. Yeah. And then it bursts over and over again. <laughs> and over and, and over and life. over and over again. Because it's human nature to just like adapt. Yeah. And you're just like, okay, this is a new reality. I've got it. Yeah. Now I've got it. And then you go to the grocery store and you can't find pine nuts. Yeah. And you're like, well, I just, where the fuck are <laughs> I can never have pine nuts ever again. My mom would have known where to show where the pine nuts oh, were. And gosh. this is it. And it's just, it's, yeah. it's continuous. Over and, and over. And it never stops. And it's like, that's the hardest part for yeah. me. Yeah, a thousand like, percent. Oh, I thought I was quote unquote used to it. No, no, wrong. No, <laughs> and I think wrong. a big part of of grief too is you're waiting, you're thinking of something to get you through this part. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, let's say like, you know, you were waiting for the red eye. Mm-hmm. So you're yeah. like, if I can just you know teach and fill exactly. my time exactly. and like do these things in the in between, I can make it to the red eye. Yeah. And then you got the red eye, and then it's if I can just get back home, yeah. I can make it through this fetal position mm-hmm. crying yeah. on an airplane. Like I can make it through it if I can just get home. You get home, but then it just keeps happening. If I can just make it yeah. to the end of the week, if I can just make it to three years, I'll yeah. s- maybe I'll start to feel something. Yeah. If I can make it to fi- if I can yeah. make it to <laughs> ten years, like it just. Like Kate said, uh, it never stops. It's yeah. that feeling over and over and over yeah. again yeah. where you're constantly looking for the thing that's going to make it... Make it okay. Okay, mm-hmm. or make it even make sense. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, get it now. Mm-hmm. You know, there's never that 
clarity, mm-hmm. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Well, and to me, like a big piece, and this is like partially, you know, my like therapist hat on and partially my human hat on and um, is that like, I feel like there's a relationship with grief. And so like, I'm always in relationship with it. And sometimes mm-hmm. it is needful and right there and foregrounded. And sometimes I'm like, please, can you just like leave, give me some space? It'd be great. Like, whoo. You're um, smothering me. Yeah, you, are, you are smothering me and I'm like, yeah, I need it. Um, and I'm then, codependent. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then there are other times where the, you know, grief kind of floats away a little bit and I have a different relationship with it. Like, and it's, it's always present and there really are times where I feel like a sense of okayness it's not like full okay but it's a sense of okayness um yeah and just repeatedly you know there are you know in in therapy too we talk like there's a primary loss so I lost my mom and that's usually a singular piece and then the secondary losses and tertiary losses are seemingly never ending Mm -hmm. it's just over and over and over and over and over and over and over again and they come in waves and here I am almost eight years, you know, since she left and I, you know, they're just waves and sometimes it just feels really heightened and hard and sometimes I'm like, this feels impossible and other times I'm like, this feels really manageable and I'm so thankful and other days I'm like, fuck you grief and mm-hmm. fuck this and um, it really just depends and so I find it like to me it's helpful to find to like imagine and conceptualize it as a relationship with my grief. Like it ebbs and flows and I have to show up (laughs) to be in Mm -hmm. relationship. Um, And even if that's showing up being like I'm boundaried and I can't right now, that's okay too. There are other times where I let it wash over me and I'm a little puddle and that still happens eight, you know, almost eight years out. Like, you know, genuinely that's, that's it. (laughs) I think um, another paradox that you kind of brought up Mm -hmm. through what you were saying was, the idea of ebbing and flowing, but even when it ebbs, Mm -hmm. you almost, I don't know if you feel this way, but you almost crave it again Mm -hmm. because it does still signify the love you had for that person, the reason you're Mm -hmm. grieving. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how you kind of notice that through that aftershock period. Yeah. It, it's so dependent upon the time. Like there are some times actually where like the ebbing feels like the ebbing and flow of it. And even like the space from it feels so good. And Mm -hmm. I have these little moments of like, ah, like, yeah. Okay. Like some ease. It's you like know. Yes. How tense I was. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And like, and getting that space from it has felt so good. And there, and there really have been times in my life where there are other there are other things that are pressing and require time and energy and effort. And so, you know, my grief, my relationship with my mom, like shifts a little bit to the background, and it like actually feels okay. Um, sometimes soothing and then there are sometimes too where it's like you know even being asked to be on the podcast I'm like damn I haven't like sat down and like paused long enough to like really just give myself like hours of feeling of it so that actually elicited its own grief of like you know here I am talking along and wow you know here's this reminder of like it's very much still there I just haven't really shown a light on it in a minute Mm -hmm. wow do you feel like leading up to this um, I guess day, we'll call mm-hmm. it a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and of <laughs> Longest course, day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like it's been kind of a positive sit down and think about it? Or has mm-hmm. it been, you know, can you tell us about like the dynamics of what you've been feeling where you've spe- like mm-hmm. on purpose kind of mm-hmm. ripped that scab off and mm-hmm. like, like recently? Yes. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think that my, like I said, my relationship with grief just keeps shifting mm-hmm. and I keep growing and I'm changing. So I'm so 
so immensely different. I think I would be even without the loss of my mom, mm-hmm. but with the loss of my mom, like immensely different than the person that I was at 22. So I have more skills. I have more capacity to feel it. I have the trust that it, like when I am in those like really painful, like shards of glass moments, like I trust that that won't last forever either. Um, so sometimes like leaning into that trust that there will be the flow of it actually is the thing that saves me. Um, and what I think, you know, I've also had to cultivate as a therapist too. It's like Mm. trusting that like I can hold space for folks and, and even sometimes being that, like being that sense of trust when maybe the client doesn't trust that like whatever it is that they're going through will shift. And I get to kind of hold space for like, inevitably I trust that it will shift, um, as almost impossible as that is to imagine. I trust that it will. (laughs) Um, so it really, really, really just depends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm so immensely grateful for my wife because she just gives so much space for whatever. If I'm like in an angered state about it, if I'm gutted, if whatever, um, you know, she's just, she's so, so, so good at holding space for when it feels like grief is foregrounded or when grief is backgrounded. Um, and she's all like kind of always been that way, mm-hmm. you know? For a wild beginning of a love story, um, <laughs> we <laughs> woo, um, we weren't officially dating when my mom died. So I had never mentioned her to my mom um, because I don't know about you guys if you're just like casually talking to your parents about who you're hooking up with because <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm not like, hey, so like, this is what I'm up to. What's up? Um, <laughs> I shared my bed last night. <laughs> so yeah, there was, uh, there was no mention of that. Uh, <laughs> And like we were, we were nearing it. Like, you know, like I could tell we were like building something and, um, and interestingly enough, like right, yeah, the day after. So like that was May 17th, but May 18th, like Courtney and I had planned a hike and she was like, I was going to ask you to be my girlfriend that day. Like there was a whole thing. So we were like building towards it. But anyway, so obviously that didn't happen, but fast forward, I, um, when I did get home, let's see, so that's May 18th now, dad does wake up. We have a little conversation and I just was super honest with him. I was like, hey, um, I, I was like, I've been seeing someone. It's not official, but I really, really care about her. And when I said her, dad didn't flinch at all. <laughs> There's some complications about that in other contexts, which I'll bring up, but dad, dad didn't flinch at all. He was just like, great, awesome. Like, okay, tell me more. Um, and I said, I was like, she is interested in coming to be here at the funeral. If that adds any complexity or like challenge, like that's fine. I respect that. Just let me know. My sweet, incredible dad goes, if she will add any bit of comfort to your world, I want her here. And like, yeah, yeah, I know. And like, that's, and like, that's my dad. And I love her dad. I know. <laughs> And like, yeah. And you know, my mom would say too, like, thank goodness for the goodness. And like, my dad's really good, you know? So, so Courtney actually, um, uh, talk about a wild, uh, meet your parents. Moment. <laughs> um, Courtney flew out from Denver to Boston and rented a car, drove up to Manchester. She met my dad when it was at visiting hours. So she met my dad for the first time next to my mom's open casket. Um, she, yep. I mean, she, (laughs) like I could see her moving up in the line and I could feel my heart pounding and my, my amazing college friends, home friends, everyone like surrounded her and like kind of greeted her and they were like guiding her through the line and I could see her getting closer and closer and closer. And, and then, you know, she says to my dad, like, hi, I'm Courtney. And he's like, hi, Courtney. Oh, Courtney. And then like grabs her and like wraps his arms around her and was like, hi. And like, 
you know, she's been a part of the family ever since. And like, it's like not your common meet the parent story. Um, and like, that's it. And that's what I mean by like, not only to me is grief a paradox, but like my lived experience of grief, like was so paradoxical because I was like falling for this person um, and had like so much joy and also was just like, what is going on? And yeah. wow, <laughs> you know, there aren't even words. It's just like a sound of like, wow, what? Yeah. Um, what an extraordinary yeah. person. Holy yeah. cow, Courtney. Holy cow. <laughs> wow. Yes, holy That's cow. That's incredible. Courtney. I have two questions about this. Yeah. And they're both, because it's kind of funny, your story is a little bit in the middle of, mm-hmm. of me and Mel, because yes. yeah. Mel was falling in love when her mom passed. And Thank goodness for the goodness. <laughs> yeah. And Danny got to meet her once oh, in the ICU. <laughs> wow. And I want yes. you to talk about that wow. a little bit. Yeah. But um, my question is like, Courtney never got to meet your mom. No. So what what is that like? Because that's something that when I think about, you know, potentially mm-hmm. having a partner yeah. in the future, I really, really struggle with that. Yeah. Because I really, it makes me really sad to think about, yeah. A, my mom not getting to know the person that's yeah. going to make me happy, but B, me not being, me talking about my mom and this huge person in my life and them not fully getting it. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that? I know it's a really big question. (laughs) Yeah. Take breaks if you need. (laughs) No, I mean, it's, it's so important. Short answer. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, the little bit of context too. Um, you know, I came out to my parents a few years prior to my mom passing away and my mom had a harder time with it, you know, just to be blunt. And she was getting there and we were making a lot of, you know, a lot of progress. I mean, even to the point where, you know, um, I had seen her, I guess, like the winter prior to her passing and like, and she was like, are you seeing anyone? And then she paused and she was like, guy guy or girl, which was a huge deal. And so like, I knew we were making progress. Um, and it's not without complexity. Mm Um, and we, we had a lot of conversations left to have and we didn't get to have them. So that is an important like kind of background context to this conversation because, yeah, I, I deeply, like genuinely, and this took me actually many years to get to, but I genuinely believe that like my mom would adore and love Courtney. Mm. They're actually like freakishly similar, which I've like also yeah. learned to like really understand over the past few years. Also, how could you not? They're, I know. Yeah. Too, exactly. Exactly. Courtney's amazing. <laughs> Well, like, that's actually a full stop. Like, who's not going to love Courtney? Full stop. Um, and, yeah, I mean, like, they're both history nerds, and they are both, like, baseball fanatics. Lo and behold, Mom is a diehard Red Sox fan, Courtney, diehard Yankees fan. So that would have been tension. And they are, like, so, like, both of them, they have their primary teams, and then number two, they are baseball lovers. So it's, like, Red Sox number one, baseball number two. Courtney is Yankees number one, baseball number two. Oh. Yeah. So they absolutely would have bonded over that. They probably would have, like – loved shit talking each other on it like you know I'm sure um I don't know they're just like museum lovers and they love puzzles and sudokus and history and like just there's actually so many things yeah total nerds nerds. I know I'm like museums and cards and And, like those are the things I like adore about both of them you know so yeah short answer absolutely heartbreaking like I do I feel I feel like she has a really good sense of who she was and she will never and I I like like I grieve for her that she will never have like the lived experience of being with my mom you know and um that 
Yeah. And, and of course, like I, I mean, it just leads to everything, right? It's like, I wish that they could have met. I wish that my mom could have been at our wedding. I wish, you know, Courtney and I are trying to create a family right now. And that's its own wave of grief of like, my mom will never know her grandkids. And um, that's why here I am like at almost eight years, but there is a complete resurgence of you know, heartbreaking grief because as we start this process and I like want to become a mom, there are a million and two questions I wish I could ask her, which I did not have the capacity nor the interest, honestly, at 22 to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, short answer, heartbreaking, long answer. It is so complicated. And I, you know, Courtney and I have both decided and we've had so many conversations that when we do have kids, like there will always be a Grammy Betsy um, that we that we talk about and I want my kids to know her in that way and I want them I want them to be like what would Grammy Betsy be like and what would she do um because she deserves that and I want that for them and I'm already simultaneously grieving that my kids can't experience her because she was made to be a grandmother (laughs) Woo! um I remember her telling me a story and I can't really remember in the timeline when, but my mom and I were talking and she said that when she was really young, she remembers telling her mom, so my Grammy, like, I can't wait to be a grandmother. And like, it's so much more, like, that sounds like so much more fun than being a mom. And like, <laughs> and, and my, my Grammy, like her mom was like, well, you actually have to be a mom first. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, like, sorry. There's actually, there's a sequence here. There's an order. (laughs) And so she was just, yeah, she was, like, made for it. And um, my, yeah, you know, my my brother is also going to be starting a family. And so my brother and I have had a lot of open and honest conversations lately about just, like, being so sad and how, like, our grief has been broken open again as we both kind of start this journey of becoming parents. And, um. Yeah, and how, like, Nolan and I were joking. We were like, wow, you know, like, we would have to be, like, limiting mom's visits. Like, we would be like, okay, you'd be like, like you can't see the kids seven days a week. How about 6.5? Like, <laughs> you know, like, what about 6.67? Like, how do you feel about that? Like, what's going on? You know, so, yeah. So she was just, she was made for it. Um, it makes me, yeah, immensely, immensely, immensely sad that Courtney has never had that lived experience. I mean, I feel heartbreak you know, for anybody in that situation, you know, you mm-hmm. two Caitlin around just like finding a partner and your mom being like a memory, mm-hmm. um, you know, and somebody that ideally we can like keep alive in memory and it is qualitatively different. It yeah. is qualitatively different mm-hmm. and full stop. Like, and what a weird feeling to be like, I, I don't know who my future partner is going to be, but I feel yeah. sorry for them. Yes. Like I feel so sad <laughs> yes. that you don't get to experience yes. what I experienced. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's just, I can't, it's just, it's really interesting. And even when I meet new people now and I talk about my mom, yeah. I'm just like, God damn it. Yes. Like, yes. you don't get to have the joy yes. of knowing Kim Ryan. And I yeah. really pity you. Mm-hmm. And you don't, exactly. You don't yeah. understand like, what a loss, what a loss in your life. Seriously. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's so tough. And everything that I've heard about your mom, you know, it's like, yeah, it is. It's just such a loss for everybody who can't get yeah. to experience her joy. It's just cool. Yeah. It's so super cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Had to gather myself. <laughs> <laughs> Break. I'm gonna have some water. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing great. Dale and I have never cried this much oh, during an episode. Not even our own. We've so never, that's pretty. We, this, you're the first mom that we've interviewed, and I oh. didn't actually realize how much this was gonna affect me. Yeah. And it's like, 
it actually feels really good. <laughs> yeah. Like it feels really good. Yeah. Well, like Honestly. I said, I can't say thank you enough for the space. Oh my gosh, we're like, so grateful that you're here. Yeah, so, so grateful. It's been a wild week where I'm just like, wow, okay, let's unearth some of this stuff and like dust it off a little <laughs> like bit. Like bubble after bubble, take it like a needle to yeah. all of them right now. Yeah. yeah, and like I said, I you know I deeply appreciate the opportunity to like dig yeah. in a little bit and be like, yeah, wow, damn, I lived through that. Thanks for being open to it. There's something about um, talking about your grief after a while too. I think mm-hmm. where you can appreciate resilience more and yeah. more and more. And I wonder if you experience this too. Where you appreciate other people's resilience. Yes. On a like deeper level. Yes. Because you know what it takes to go through something heartbreaking and horrible and tragic and to come out on the other mm-hmm. side of like still kicking, mm-hmm. wanting to live, mm-hmm. not just be alive. Yes. And it takes a lot of work and effort. And, you know, you talk a lot about identity mm-hmm. with your story and how mm-hmm. yeah. there's two, you have two identities, who you were before your mom died and who you were after. And it also sounds like there's so many other parts of your identity that were affected. Mm-hmm. Your identity as like a woman, I think yeah. any woman who loses their mother, yeah. that is a whole other complex yeah. part of it is losing the person you talk mm-hmm. to about your womanhood mm-hmm. in general. Yep. Um, your identity as a girlfriend, mm-hmm. being in a significant relationship mm-hmm. with somebody who you're falling in love with, yeah. your identity as a soon-to-be mother, mm-hmm. your identity as even a sister and as a daughter. I think there's something to be said about how all those are, are tweaked mm-hmm. and you have to adjust to it mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Can you yeah. expand on that a little with your story? Oh, so beautifully said, but I, <laughs> but I guess I will add. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is. It's like, it's constant tweaks, you know? And that's kind of what I mean by like, I've learned and I've been forced to learn. It wasn't like, yay, let me choose to learn this thing. This is so exciting. It was like, (laughs) no, okay, I'm absolutely forced to learn. Um, But forced to learn to build a relationship with my grief. And that's why it is. It's constant tweaks. It's constant changes. Because the thing is, this is also the paradox, is that my mom was frozen in time at 56, you know, and heart attack, right? I don't even think I ended up saying that. It's like it was. It was a heart attack. She was doing PT at her house, and it was a weird combination of pain meds that she was on. She had a tiny bit of buildup in one of her arteries, but they had two autopsies because they were like, what? We don't understand. Um, so they said it was just a terrible combination of stress on the body, pain medication, and a tiny bit of buildup in her heart. Um, it's fucked up. It is. What it's totally fuck? fucked, up. Yeah, it's it's, fucked up. It's unfair, and yeah. it's just it makes it doesn't really make sense. So I've also had to grapple with the fact that it doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. um, and so much of you know death doesn't make sense, and honestly, so much of life doesn't make sense. Yeah. And there's like a building of relationship with being in discomfort and being and not knowing, and um, and to me, like the relationship with grief is constant little tweaks. It's how do I like repeatedly repeatedly stretch and then pull back and then stretch and pull back and stretch and pull back until I find it like an iteration of myself where I feel like I can like like you said like not just like exist but try to live again Mm -hmm. um when I did finally come back to Denver I was here for a little bit and then I actually went home for many months to be with my dad over the summer that first summer 2014 and I just had no idea what I was doing And so going from a place of like, what do I do to like, I want to strive to really live again was very, very, very hard. Um, So I wish I had some like answer. And to me, it's like the willingness to be in the discomfort, the willingness to not know, the willingness to fall apart, the willingness to have moments of like, 
you know, absurd laughter inside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for a while, like while I was falling in love with Courtney, I had this like little sliver of like shame and guilt that would come with it where I was like, just yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, we'd have these like beautiful moments. Like I said, we were just like falling in love and it was so exciting. And, and then sometimes I would catch myself. I had this like deep, you know, like toothy grin and I'd be like oh god but like my mom just died a month ago like you know and I'd try to like call myself back yeah exactly so much pressure and so you know we talk a lot in like contemplative psychology around like holding the both and it's like it's not like I was excited but I was nervous it's I am excited and I was and I was nervous like both are valid both are true neither negates the other mm-hmm. um and to me like that is the embodiment of grief of like I can be deeply falling in love with this person and I can be grief stricken and so confused <laughs> and disheveled <laughs> and all mm-hmm. the things um and they don't actually negate one another and I you know I know inside my bones that like my mom just wanted me to be happy like like I said, even with some of the like challenges of coming out, like she had already made so much progress in a short amount of time. She would have loved Courtney because who doesn't? Um, <laughs> she, you know, and I just, I have zero doubts in my mind that she would just want Nolan and I and my dad, honestly, to be happy and to live. And that's what helps keep like, that's what helps almost like tether me to the commitment to those tweaks mm. of like, I'm tweaking, oh, I'm tweaking, I'm tweaking. That. I love that's that you said incredibly that. Incredibly put. Yeah. Wow. Wow, tethered to the commitment of making those tweaks. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that. That's <laughs> really beautiful because that is so true. I mean, like, you know, it's it's one of those things you hear all the time is your loved one would want you to be happy. Mm-hmm. And it's such an easy thing to say, but putting yeah. it into practice is really yeah. difficult it's where so it's like, hard. it's a choice. Yes. You have to choose to choice. be happy. You have to choose mm-hmm. to keep on living and keep on going. Yeah. And that's just so well put and like really um, physical and visceral to me mm-hmm. where it's like, yes. no, I'm... I'm committing to making my mom proud of me. Mm-hmm. I'm committing to this life, mm-hmm. even though I don't want to. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Even though it's way easier to just, mm-hmm. like, quit. Yep, and just be done. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. Way easier. And there were plenty of days where I was like, I'm just done. I'm going to lay here, face down mm-hmm. on the floor, and <laughs> put on some Bruce Springsteen and just ball my eyes out. And that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You have to feed it, too, with your relationship with yes. grief. Sometimes yes. it means it. Sometimes it, it has just, that hunger. Yep. Sometimes it to knocks just... you on your ass. And right. you're like, okay, I actually, yeah, I planned on being on the floor for 12 oh, hours. Okay. <laughs> this was my choice. Okay. I'm going to go grocery shopping today. <laughs> yeah. Darn it. Oh, exactly. Nice. <laughs> That's done. Yeah. And meanwhile, Grief's like, yeah, actually, the itinerary for the day is that we actually are face down, and you're not going to feel anything, and you won't have hunger, and you're just going to cry, and you're going to wonder if anything is worth it. Grief's you know? just like, you thought, bitch. Hi. Hey, We're back. Hey. Hey again. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is so interesting that you brought up guilt and shame, too, because I think those are two very common emotions mm-hmm. that are synonymous with grief. Yeah. How did that come into the role for you when you were grieving yeah. and are grieving? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, like I mentioned, I mean, so much of it was, like I said, these, like, these moments of joy or these moments of like giddiness or, you know, and my mom used this word a lot, like being Twitter-pated. It's like, oh. the, like when you're like, you have a crush and it's like, um, also I recently looked it up. It's actually a word. It comes from Bambi, oh the movie. Oh my gosh. And, um, I love I know, that fact I, I, so much. I thought it was a fake word and my mom would use it all the time. Um, and then finally, 
actually had a client recently and I even said, I was like, my mom used to use the word. I don't think it's real, but I think it perfectly describes like that feeling when you're like falling for someone or you have a crush because it sounds like it. I'm Twitter paid it. Yes. And then then, uh, my client was like, wait, my boyfriend uses that word. And I was like, a what? Like, um, what? And then I, all of a sudden, I was like, wait, actually, why have I not Googled this? In eight years? <laughs> <laughs> Lo and behold, real word. Um, but when I was feeling those, like, immense feelings of being Twitter-pated and, like, so excited, there, I mean, grief, or excuse me, guilt and shame would just creep on in around, Ooh. like, you should be sad, you should be mourning, you should be whatever. Um, and... Luckily, like I said, I've had I've had so many incredible yoga teachers and guides and healers like throughout my life that honestly were like basically preparing me for this moment. Not fully, nothing does ever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I had some languaging around it to be like I'm allowed and actually like I need to be in these moments of being Twitter pated and excited. So I'm not saying that I like eliminated the shame or the guilt. And I was fortunate enough to already have some of the like context or some of the languaging to be like, I deserve to feel this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and even now it's like in retrospect as a therapist and as a somatic therapist, something we talk about is we, and so in somatic psychology, we pull from chemistry a bit with this idea and concept of titration. So rather than like dumping in a whole, let's say a whole glass of the chemical, also mm. not a chemist, which you can clearly tell here. <laughs> um, a whole beaker. Like, <laughs> a dropper pipette. <laughs> the whole pint glass goes in. And then, like, <laughs> so rather than just dumping like this massive amount of a chemical in, you do, you take a little pipette and it's one drop at a time to see if it'll explode or whatever I'm mm-hmm. doing a terrible job and um, <laughs> sorry chemists out there okay <laughs> and ultimately we use the similar principle in somatic therapy so when we're doing trauma work we'll like we'll delve in a little bit into the trauma and then we'll pull right back out and we'll resource mm-hmm. so it's like we add one drop of the liquid and then we like pull back we resource we check to see what happened rather than like just delving in fully where that might be re-traumatizing or re-triggering or like really destabilizing to the yeah, person. Holy cow. So, yeah. so in retrospect, now that I have that languaging and that kind of like theory to, you know, land on, I'm like, wow, okay. So actually like when I was falling in love concurrently with, you know, starting to understand the loss of my mom, I kind of naturally was titrating. It's like I was in my grief and then I was like in love and I was in my grief and I was being, you know, feeling Twitter pated, you know, back and forth. And it's almost like this undulation was actually really, really helpful and supportive. Mm -hmm. However, at that time I, you know, had lots of shame and guilt of like, what am I doing? And like, I, you know, I had times even when I was just like laughing with my friends and then all of a sudden this like little voice would be like, your mom just died. And I'd be like, oh, God, yeah. And then all of a sudden it would just be jarring and it would be that like, you know, wind out of your sails, like, whoa, okay, whoa, you're right, you're right. And then I was, yeah, so very confusing. Wow. You know, we say kind of colloquially in, in counseling, it's like grief shatters and scatters. So in mentally, it like is confusing and fragmented and it's why you don't remember where you put things and things don't really make sense. And, you know, you have the front of your brain, prefrontal cortex is like, we're offline later. <laughs> so Not forever because one. I just drop things all the time. That's a, that's yeah. a new thing for me. I yeah. drop something every day. I break shit mm-hmm. all the time. It's I real. I bruises. It's the most oh, that ever end. <laughs> yes. it's, it's a real thing. I mean, I want to be like, it'll end at some point. I have no idea. Right? <laughs> <laughs> You're like still waiting to find 
myself. So I have no clue. Still have no clue. I still will put my keys in the fridge. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Exactly. It is. It's just, it's so fragmenting and confusing. And like, your head's in a blender. And you're just like, oh going on like luckily I wore pants to the grocery store yay like <laughs> that's progress <laughs> like, score. Like, yeah you know and even in this conversation right it's like we go into some depth and then we have to laugh and mm-hmm. like and it feels so good and it like keeps you know keeps us like talking and like so that's like the way that we naturally titrate mm-hmm. too um so we do it without even like you know there's no need like the body has the wisdom to hold it mm-hmm. um and yeah it's like shame laugh shame laugh shame laugh back and forth <laughs> like yeah that is so incredible that's actually wild that you bring up titration because mm-hmm. my therapist this last week um we were talking about how oftentimes I feel really exhausted when I'm grieving yeah. because um I also have depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and I'm always constantly trying to resource like okay this must just be depression like mm-hmm. I don't have an appetite okay let's go for a run let's do this 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 is depression so I know from my my dbt and my cbt <laughs> like the next steps here mm-hmm. like okay and then it just doesn't work and it doesn't work yeah. and it doesn't work and so finding that medium ground of like okay so we can dive into it a little bit and mm-hmm. grieve and like feel it and then you can pull out yes, and resource exactly. so that's so i mean it's so beneficial exactly. too it makes a huge difference i mm-hmm. think um being able to be self-aware first of all mm-hmm. that that's what you're doing yeah um because i feel like and maybe you guys agree that society has this pressure on you to be solution oriented mm-hmm. on everything. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you're being too negative. You need to focus on the positive. Yeah. <laughs> no, let's just go for a walk. It'll be okay. Yeah. You know, like there's this pressure to always mm-hmm. be resourcing. Mm-hmm. So to, to allow yourself to delve in every now and then yes. is so important, I feel. Yeah. Big, emphatic yes. Yeah. <laughs> big, emphatic yes. Yeah. I mean, society is so solution-oriented. We want things to be in little boxes with a sweet little bow that's nicely, you know, wrapped up and looks really cute. And then grief is just like, I'm a puddle on the floor mm-hmm. and I don't know where my pants are. Like, what are, you know, like, I'm not dressed. Like, yeah. what am I doing? You know, and so, like, it is. It's like an interruption from like what society like demands of you or like mm-hmm. requests of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also feel like society has this idea of like, there's a mourning period, you know? Ends. So yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to make myself vulnerable here. Also, you're going to laugh because I was just very vulnerable, but I, we were watching Downton Abbey right now. And Love that show. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and whenever, whenever there's somebody who passes away, there's like a mourning period and there's a time where they're expected to wear black And, like, yes, that was a long time ago. And there's also, like, these societal expectations of, like, there's a mourning period. And meaning there's a mourning period. It ends. It's done. Like, there's a a threshold that you move past and then all of a sudden you can wear color again and you're fine, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I just think it can't be, you know, couldn't be farther from the truth. There, you know, I mean, you've talked on the podcast so much about grief is cyclical. It makes no sense, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm coming up on eight years, and I would say there are many years inside of that that felt like there was a lot of ease, where I would say that my grief was backgrounded, and it gave me a lot of room to breathe, mm-hmm. and it felt delightful. <laughs> um, and then, like I said, in the creation of trying to start a family, it just reared its head, and like, mm-hmm. there it is again. And in, like, different articulations, and like I said, the iterations change, but grief is there so I build a new relationship with this new iteration of my grief and here it is again and I trust that like when I actually become a mom um I trust that it'll take a new iteration and a new form and Mm -hmm. 
you know, who knows what lessons are in store for me there and what challenges are in store for me there. And, um, you know, and really any of us, like when, you know, if there's that desire or if, you know, that next chapter or whatever it looks like, like it rears its head again, like Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. a different form, wearing a little mask, but it's still grief. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It makes so much sense. And I, you know, I think there's something to be said about losing your person at an age that all of us were close to Mm -hmm. those early twenties where it's perfectly acceptable to pause life Mm -hmm. and in society and like, I don't know, get like a serving job and just go travel, do whatever you want, like let go, let loose. And yet there's also this pressure to be a productive member of society and have a job and work and and have a relationship and yes. buy a house and buy a car <laughs> and like figure out what your hair looks like and what your clothes are supposed Ooh, to be. Stay trendy. Like, yeah. yeah. Early 20s is like a clusterfuck already. Yeah. It's already yes. a clusterfuck. Yeah. Yes. And so I wonder if you experienced, like mm-hmm. what was your experience with getting your footing in your own life that you just started building outside of college or, mm-hmm. or wherever you were? Yeah. How did that play into your, your grief? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was the first year out of college. So I graduated, let's see, it was like May 20th of 2013. Mom died May 17th, 2014. So it wasn't quite a full year. So, and yeah, it's like already a tumultuous year. Yeah, it's already like, so what close. an, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, what am I doing? You know? And, um, I was so fortunate in retrospect. So I had this like six month fellowship after college. And at the time I was like, so disappointed. So I was like, oh, like my friends got, you know, jobs and I got this fellowship and I was like excited about it. And I was like, oh, you know, I wanted a job. And, um, but honestly, best thing that could have happened because I actually went home from like Thanksgiving until like January of that year. Mm. And I just had so much time with my mom, more than I had ever. I mean, you know, I, I had four years away in Colorado. And yes. I know. And no. instead, it's like we just had days and days and days and days and days of togetherness cooking and playing cards and watching shitty TV and, (laughs) you know, and whatever it was. And it was just, it was so great and so connective. And so in retrospect, it was like the best thing that could have happened, you know, and ultimately, I mean, that was the last time I saw her in person was like that January, you know, I still remember her like waving goodbye at the airport, like with the little glass wall. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and at that time, it was like a really painful goodbye because I, I, you know, I was just spent like six or seven weeks or something there. And I was like, oh, if this one really stings, like, ouch. Um, lo and behold, that was like the last time I ever saw my mom, you know? And so I'm so grateful for that. And, and, you know, being 22, I was just like, I have no idea what I want to do. I don't know. I don't know what I care to do right now. And like I kind of mentioned earlier, it's like grief also made it pretty clear to me of what I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, yeah, there are certain things that I, that I just don't want to be participating in anymore. And there are certain ways of being that I don't want to be participating in anymore. And it's so cliche, but it's like life is short and it changes in a breath. And I, I absolutely thought that I would talk to my mom again after I was like, mom, 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 I got to, mom, I got to go. Love you. Bye. Like, that's what mm-hmm. I said. And I had, I've had to spend years, you know, coming to terms with the fact that that was the last time I spoke to her and I like shoot her off the phone, <laughs> you know, um, and my therapist, because all therapists have therapists. And then we, we imagine too, that like, there's like some therapist at the tippity top, yeah. that's, like, that's like the therapist the of all the therapists of the therapist of the therapist of the therapist of the mother therapist <laughs> of all, like, exactly. Uh-huh. That's who needs to sponsor us. Oh, okay. Mother therapist. Mother therapist. 
So like every, yeah, I mean, I'm biased as a therapist and who has benefited dramatically from therapy that I'm like, mm-hmm. I just wish that everybody could have access to a therapist. I think mm-hmm. so many of the issues that we're dealing with would be handled or at least like managed or something, but mm-hmm. different, different podcast. Okay. <laughs> um, that's yeah. why I'm saving the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 18, like 18 more episodes or something. How to like, teach empathy. Okay. Oh my God, yeah. How to be a not shitty human 101. Yeah, I think many people need that. Um, yeah, I, I also think from like a counseling perspective, like our early 20s are so much about individuation from our family systems. And then it's like for most of us, I think all of us here, it's like it was, yes, it was individuation. And also con- like concurrently, here it is again, Concurrently, it's like the dissolving of the family unit that we grew up in. So it's like, so part of me wanted to individuate because I'm 22 and I'm like, I want to be free. And the other part of me is like just clinging on. I remember my like grasp around the idea of my dad and of my family, like just, whew, it grew so much. I just like held on so tightly and I was like, well, you can't go anywhere and like mm-hmm. nothing else can happen. Like, and I just held on so tightly because, you know, the worst thing did happen. And like I said, that invincibility bubble was burst. And so I was like, well, what else can happen now? Like, oh my mm-hmm. God, you know? And so things were so unstable and felt unstable for so many reasons. <laughs> um, so many reasons. Um, and I think, I think some of that would have been present without losing my mom because I was 22 and I was figuring out careers and, you know, partnerships and other relationships and whatever, and just figuring it out. And I, I was like, it was a total worldview shift of what matters, what doesn't matter, what do I want to have that matter? Um, yeah. So all, all the things, it just felt like everything was like, jumbled up all of a sudden and I really don't think it was until like later that fall where I had like the felt sense of like whoa she's gone I remember being in a King Supers parking lot over at like Bay Cheeseman and I had my first panic attack and I I like um I had this like gnarly rash all over my body and I'd been to all these doctors and they were like we have no idea what it is and I'm like okay well that's very helpful thank you for those like 175 I just paid you and whatever and they're like here's a topical cream which like doesn't work um and anyways finally this one like dermatologist was like like let's talk about what's happening in your life and I and like that was the only doctor and I'd been to like five or six who had even asked any other context of what was happening I just broke down in her office and she was like, and I remember she was so sweet. She put her hand on my back and she was like, my guess, sweetie, is that you are so stressed that your body is basically fighting itself. So you have a rash all over your body. Like, and now with medical psychology, I'm just like, yeah, like I, my, you know, my body was so dysregulated. I didn't know what was up, what was down. I barely wanted to eat anything for a long time. So Cordy was amazing at just like shoving food in my mouth lovingly. <laughs> and like, <laughs> you know, she was like, I know you're not hungry, but here you go. Okay. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it was like feed the baby slash feed Mara. <laughs> yeah. It's like a little airplane. Like, yeah. It has to land somewhere. <laughs> Okay. Uh, it was like everything minus the bib, you know? So <laughs> And sometimes the bib. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes the bib. Um yeah, so I, I think they are. They're just they're melded together of like being twenty-two, being early twenties, losing an integral figure in your world. And and to me it was like in very stark contrast to many of my closest friends. And so that was its own challenge of like, what do I do here? And who do I reach out to? And mm-hmm. what do I do? Um so yeah. Long story short, like totally jumbled up and didn't really mm-hmm. know like what was up, what was down and how yeah. to find it. Oh. 
yeah. eventually I, I had that. a semblance of it. Yeah. And it took a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so I feel like also in your early 20s mm-hmm. is this new time where a lot of people get to just like mess up in the real world mm-hmm. and they get to experience what it's like to mess up in the real world, mm-hmm. not in the bubble of college or at home or whatever. You're like, wow, I really messed up at work today. Yikes, okay. Or, you know, like I, I drank way too much last night. I'm only responsible for myself now. So it's like, whoa. And I feel like, I wonder for you if you experienced that as another loss, another mm-hmm. thing you grieved was a time when you could be fully immersed in your own individuation yeah. and your own mistakes mm-hmm. and learning from yourself without having to coexist with your grief. Yeah, so interesting you bring that up because I don't even know if I've actually reflected on it that way. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I think I've had the realization of, like, the... I don't want to call it naivete because there's something that's so, like, beautiful about youngness mm-hmm. and I don't want to, like, make a random hierarchy of, like, yeah. maturation's better than... It's just whatever. Youth. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's just Exa- youth. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, so I very much had the understanding of, like, my youth was very different. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, because, I mean, everything just felt so so different. And, like, the lightheartedness, like I said, was there. Like like I said, I mean, obviously there was the concurrent piece of, like, falling in love with Courtney. And there were absolutely joyful moments. There were so many joyful moments, um, even that first year with friends and my community. Um, and, like, the lightness was, was dampened. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, it was. It was dampened. And even, like, I remember, um, you know, Courtney, central theme here, um, Courtney planned this, like, incredible birthday party for my 23rd that September. And she, like, had some of my best friends, like, fly in. It was just incredible. And it was in Aspen. And it's, like, the time when the Aspens are, you know, beautifully, oh, like, yeah. glistening yellow. And it was incredible. And there were so many people there. And I remember just being surrounded by so much love. Like, and I had to like walk in the back room to one of the bathrooms and just like bawl my eyes out and was just like, and then there, there was shame again of like, all your friends are here. You should be fine. You know? Uh-huh. And you're getting love shoved down your yeah. throat. Why aren't yeah. you happy? Why, yes. why aren't you happy? You know, it's like, so dynamic. It's like, I'm uh-huh. so happy. I'm, I could not be more happy. And yeah. yet I'm so incredibly overwhelmed yeah. and devastated. Yeah. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, exactly. And there it is. There's the paradox. I didn't really have the words for it mm-hmm. or the like ability to hold all of that at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And there was, there were lots of shoulds. It was like, you should be happy. You should be enjoying the time. And even like, it's like I said, some people flew in. So I was like, not everyone's going to be here in a couple of, you know, like I had all yeah. these shoulds mm-hmm. in my head, which were really just exacerbated pressures that weren't really actually serving me. But like I said, I didn't have the languaging for it. Um, and so it was just, it was all of these both ends of like, like you said, the like of my youth, which there were absolutely these beautiful highlights and wonderful moments. Like, and often the elevated moments were slightly dampened because mm-hmm. I just kind of couldn't believe I was in the situation that I was in. Yeah. You know? yeah and, and even when I say that, like, you know, like I said, I'm almost at eight years later and there are still these like really joyful moments of like, you know, I've had a lot of these quote, like big life moments. You know, I went to graduate school, graduated from grad school. I got married. I, mm-hmm. you know, my wife and I bought a house. We have a dog and a cat, like all of these, like, you know, like checking some boxes or whatever. And, um, you know, these arbitrary societal boxes and in these moments of joy, I still, still to this day feel that they're slightly dampened or there's like this little, like sliver of like ouch like there's mm-hmm. something still missing and there's still a yearning and 
And like I said, in part of the relationship that I built with grief is that there's a there's this like knowingness that that will be there and it hurts a little less, like the impact is a little less strong and the like, ouch, is still there. You know, I desperately wanted to like take her around, you know, we have like raised bed gardens and she loved gardening. And so like all of last summer, there was so much joy and there was some sorrow of just like, I wish she could be here to see this and I wish she mm-hmm. could... You know, I just, I wish, I wish so much for her and for me and for my family I've created, like, that she could have been a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so while there's, fam- like, more familiarity with that sense of, like, ouch, it's still an ouch. Yeah. You know? I think that's so, that's so pointed. And it's, I mean, it's something that I'm anticipating is never going to go away. But I also think... Sometimes when I have those ouch moments, it honestly, it's hard in that moment. But when I reflect on them sometimes, it makes me grateful that I have those ouch moments because it means I had something to miss. Mm -hmm. And it's really tough to do that in that moment. It's actually impossible to do that in that moment. But sometimes when I do reflect on it, like it makes me glad that I'm sad to miss her because it means that it would have been great or she Mm -hmm. would have loved it or I would have loved it, you know? And yeah. I was lucky enough to be at Mary and Courtney's wedding. Um, that's how I met them. Is I she was, made it happen. <laughs> you made it happen. I just helped. Um, but I was their wedding planner. And I don't know. I don't think I've ever told you this. But um, that, well, you know this. But that was the first wedding that I did after I found out my mom's going to die. Yeah. yeah. And we really bonded over that one morning yeah. at breakfast. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to say anything. It just, I wasn't going to approach that because I was like, it's not about me. And I'm so glad you did. Well, I am too. But we were just talking and you, you had told me that you were going to have your dad bring down two flowers yeah. and place them on chairs. Yeah. And it was going to symbolize your mom and your aunt. Mm-hmm. And I just, I couldn't, it, it's like, it was like word vomit. Like I was like, <laughs> I just had to, had yeah. to tell you in that moment of just like, I, I know that this is going to make me feel better and it's going to make us feel more connected and all that. And so yeah. I, I told you, I was like, this is, you know, the first wedding I'm going to be doing since mm-hmm. knowing my mom is not going to make it to my own wedding. Mm-hmm. And at your wedding, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it was a lot, but you guys, you both were just so just incredible and it really like helped me in that moment, which was really great. But um, I don't, I don't think I've ever told you this, but at your wedding, um, I think it was after photos. It was after the ceremony. It was like during cocktail. Everything is after photos. Um, I was near the restrooms and I saw you and Nolan and your dad have a family hug. Yeah. And I don't know if I've ever seen anything more beautiful. And I, um, I know in that moment how painful that was for you and how much you missed your mom in that moment. And I know it felt like a spy looking at you guys. <laughs> but I also, I cannot tell you how much it meant to me and how special it was for me to see that because I knew that I was going to have that moment at some point at my wedding at my sister's or it was going to be me and my sister and my dad and we were going to be together and there was going to be one integral person that wasn't going to be there Mm -hmm. and I saw that and I had to go have a little cry (laughs) in the restroom but it made me feel so grateful um for the people that I have now and also that grief exists outside of me and like just to know people that are going through this as well and just Mm -hmm. to understand that you know life does go on and beautiful moments happen and you get to hug your family and you get to have love in your life and and it's so sad and it's so heartbreaking and so crushing and it's still happy and it's still good and pure Mm -hmm. and loving Mm -hmm. and it's just like that it was like a 
that was like one of those tweak moments. It was like a shifty moment for me. And it just meant a lot. And I don't think I've ever told you that before, but... I Thank you. you. I love you too. Thank I you so you. much for sharing that. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> having a moment right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just so much gratitude for you sharing that. And also so much gratitude for the previous version of you that did share, you know, that your mom was terminally ill. Um, because even like, so I'm like, I'm a people person. Right. And like, I really, <laughs> <laughs> sure, <no. laughs> one of the reasons why I chose to be a therapist. <laughs> um, I think that'd be a sad job if you were a therapist. Yeah. Not like people. No, I love people. No, I love people and I'm honored to like sit with them You're inside really of this. I, mm-hmm. um, and no, I, I mean, I'm genuinely grateful that you shared that even way back that like your mom was terminally ill because like there was something, I remember we were at City O City and there was like a softening where I was like, I can trust this person. You know, and like, and we, to be honest, we had met with other wedding planners and like they, I don't know, not the same vibe. <laughs> um, and yeah, and so there was something in me that softened because you shared. And I think that's so important to rem- like remind ourselves of too, is that, you know, and you've emphasized this on the podcast as well, but it's like grief demands to be seen. So if we hide the grief away, like it is going to leak out of every possible space that it can and it'll be like demanded, it'll demand to be seen in some way. Mm -hmm. So like the more that we can share our grief and acknowledge it and see it and hold it and like I said, build a relationship with it because it's not going to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. It, it molds, it changes, it changes shape. But like in that moment, right, you had already started the grieving process by knowing that your mom was not going to be with you for as long as you, of course, wanted her to be there. Right. And so, like I said, I had a softening in me. There's like a relationship that was built. There's a reason why we, you know, still talk and still hang out. And I don't talk to any of my other wedding vendors, and, <laughs> you know, and I don't talk to any of my other clients. <laughs> So I do, I just, I think it's so, so, so important to, you know, just name that, like, that's why I'm grateful for this podcast too. Like grief needs to be seen. Um, There's an incredible therapist, uh, Megan Devine, and she has a book that's called It's It's Okay to Not Be Okay. And one of the central pieces is that she says, like, grief can't be fixed. Okay. Full stop. Mm, 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 It can't be fixed. mm -hmm. So we carry it. So that which cannot be fixed, we carry with us. And we like basically request that other people are willing to bear witness to it as we carry it. And it's wow. so painful when people aren't, aren't willing or unable and whatever it is. Um, and when you have those moments when you get to be like seen inside of your grief and honored inside of your grief and even just like sat with, <laughs> you know, sat alongside you in your grief. Like those are the moments to me that have helped me like feel a sense of like okayness Mm -hmm. and I say a sense of okayness because it's like what does it mean to be okay without Mm -hmm. you know um and that sense of okayness has been like the thing that is you know it's a through line it's a thing that's kept me going it's it's a huge driver for becoming a therapist is that like I want people to know that they're not alone in whatever it is that they're going through you know um I've had like a deep 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 feeling since I was so little where I was just like I I was like, I just want people to feel welcomed here. Like that's been like a deep knowing inside of me. And I didn't know what form that would take. And my mom, you know, going way too soon um, was the catalyst to me being like, okay, like I, 
I don't want to be sitting at a computer all day. Ironically, I did telehealth, so kind of <laughs> misaligned that. But, um, you know, but I was like, I don't want to be, you know, doing data entry. I don't want to be, like, sitting at a computer just doing whatever. I want to be connecting with people and, you know, living my life in that way. And so, yeah, it feels, like, really, really profound for me to be, like, okay, like, when we actually get to bring forth these parts of ourselves that feel so scary and ugly and messy and earth shattering right if we actually bring them out into the light and hold them together in community like that's actually how we feel better it's actually how we start to heal and that's why I'll be infinitely grateful for my community and the people who like I said carried me through those first days where I did not know what the ground was um because like I am who I am and I am where I am because of those people. And so like the smallest thing that I could do in return is say like, I am here for other people to be inside of whatever, whatever um, challenge that they're going through because like we all deserve to be seen in whatever it is that we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing that mm-hmm. um, way back when. Thank you for sharing that now. <sighs> like it's, it's important, you know, we have to bring these like, slimy creepy crawlers out so they can be seen in the light and then you're like oh you're not too scary okay totally and it's like it's it's also a thing of just like okay i'm about to say something how is this person gonna react they can see me differently Mm -hmm. i think that's something i still struggle with is like i'm about to go kind of start a Mm -hmm. new life in Mm -hmm. a different country and Mm -hmm. i have been thinking about that of just like am i gonna tell people but you can't not because it's who you are and it's and it's your life and you don't need, you know, there's doesn't need to be like dramatic of just like, yes, well, my mom, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, but it is something that still kind of um, <clears throat> can make me feel insecure mm-hmm. sometimes. It's sure. just like people know me as this and then they're going to know me as this. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be me projecting sure. because I don't know if I've ever really felt that about someone when they've revealed, <laughs> you know. You're like, God, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> when my mom passed of just like oh now people see me differently mm-hmm. and I think that was me projecting mm-hmm. but I also think it does hold a kernel of yeah, truth sure and I think it is it is interesting how you know I don't know if I've ever really said that and not had a better connection with someone mm-hmm. it's just yeah. it's it's such a scary thing to do and you yeah. can do it a hundred times and have all of them go well and it's still going to be scary mm-hmm. it is it's just how it is mm-hmm. yeah know? I think that there's this pressure where people think you have a responsibility to uh, make sure the people around you are okay mm-hmm. and comfortable. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I think when somebody, you know, there always are going to be those people who want to shut you up if you're talking about your grief. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes from an insecurity within themselves yeah. where they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think it's hard to remind ourselves that our our first responsibility with ourselves and our relationship with our own grief mm-hmm. is, to, is to give it space and, and be able to find a way to breathe with it. Mm-hmm. And our, we have no responsibility to make sure someone else feels comfortable mm-hmm. with something that we bear every day. Yep. It's not our responsibility. We have nothing to do with it. It's not mm-hmm. about us. And it's hard to remember that because it's such a vulnerable place to be when you open it up and somebody wants to shut it down. It's hard to remind yourself that mm-hmm. that's a reflection of something they may be going yeah. through too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so important to remember that often when people give these like, you know, unfitting or even sometimes like very hurtful platitudes. It's like, it's more about their discomfort and it's way less about your lived experience. Like resting on that has been really informative for me Mm -hmm. because like we can't, you know, we can't control what other people are going to say. 
you know, I've seen people get all squirmy and, you know, just like weird. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, well, uh, so um, that's cool. Ooh, I know. And, and I, you know, and, and, and I want to be clear too, like my lived experience of it is that like, that's actually been the minority. I've had so many people who are like, tell me about your mom, you know, like, how are you doing? What do you need right now? Like, I just have, I have, yeah, the community that I have, I feel grateful for every, every day. And, um, and those, those folks who feel wildly uncomfortable and get squirmy, you know, I have a new lens on it now where I'm just like, wow, like you, you have a lot, you know, you have a lot to process in yourself and you have a lot to grow in regards to building some comfort with discomfort. And like, that's cool. And I wish you well and great. Um, because like, we can't, you know, we can't control what others Right. <laughs> how others respond Which and is what so they annoying. do. And, yeah, it, it is. It is excruciating. And only retro to control my own actions. Ooh. Okay, I just keep repeating uh, that to myself. Yeah. I yeah. know it is. It is excruciating. It's it excruciating. Is. Yeah. It's wild, and it's. I think it. It adds that extra bit of pressure mm-hmm. to ourselves that we could live without. Mm-hmm. Maybe you know, trying to make sure because, especially as, I think that with grief you develop a new sense of empathy mm-hmm. and you are empathetic towards other people, even the people who are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So to want to mute yourself mm-hmm. so that you don't experience that reaction, mm-hmm. it's hard not to do that, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. It's easier to mute yourself and then take care of yourself later. Mm-hmm. But I think, like you said, grief demands to be seen mm-hmm. and it's important yeah. that you're talking about it. It's the same thing as like people talk so casually like, oh, I tripped and fell the other day. And everyone's like, oh, they tripped and fell the other yeah. day or whatever. Yeah. Well, as like much as that was an event, mm-hmm. my mom died. Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh, my yeah. God. Like, Death <laughs> can handle your scraped knee on the sidewalk way better than this. Yeah. Like, whoa, hold on. It really shows a lot about someone's capacity. And I think yeah. it adds a level of clarity mm-hmm. to um, your relationship with other people yes. and where you stand. And I, I do think that it's an incredible thing to be able to see someone in their grief because you're going to have a closer relationship mm-hmm. with them because grief is a part of us. It's yeah. not separate from us. Yeah. Um, and it's something that's dormant in everyone until something wakes it up. Mm-hmm. So I think that the more that you can be processing your own feelings about being uncomfortable around grief, the better off you'll be in the future because yes. <laughs> everyone experiences it. Yes. Yes. And I would even add too, like to me, grief is actually so much more common than we think. And not only like, like big losses of like the death of loved ones, but like we experience grief all of the time by like, if I had an idea in my head of like what my Saturday was going to look like and it doesn't go that way, that's grief, Mm -hmm. right? It's like the normal natural response to a loss. So it could be a loss of a person, which hurts like a bitch, right? Or it could be the loss of an idea, loss of a dream, loss of a partner, loss of an animal. Like, we actually experience grief so much. So I actually think it's so much more common than we think, but we don't call it grief. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, my day didn't go according to plan, mm-hmm. right? But, like, what we're actually metabolizing in our system is, like, wow, that did not go according to plan. And, like, that hurts in some way, and I feel disappointment. And so I think actually the more that we normalize that in all of these quote-unquote smaller ways, we actually experience grief all the time. We're kind of flexing that muscle so that when we do have something that is unimaginable and will, like I said, put you face down on the floor, it's not like it makes it any easier, but at least we can be like, yeah, and like ideally somebody else can 
be a little bit more empathetic because they have experienced something that didn't go according to plan. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, not the same, right? So like mm-hmm. not not a reason to be like, oh, well, my day didn't go according to plan, so I feel you, <laughs> right? And exactly like, what I mean. exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, and I think that like the more we can normalize that grief and loss is embedded in part of our day to day, like the more that we actually can cultivate empathy, cultivate deeper relationships with people, um, and like show up more fully for one another because like life isn't just good. Like life is complex. Like life holds it all, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. And I really, really believe too, from a somatic psychology perspective, like our bodies can hold it all. Mm. Like I can hold immense joy in my body. I can hold immense grief in my body. Like I just have to trust that my body is capable of doing that. Um, and like I said, it's all about ands. And, 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 and. Like, mm-hmm. I feel okay today, and that freaks me out. Mm-hmm. Or I feel terrible today, and that's okay. I don't need it to be anything any bit different. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. I think I'm so interested to hear more about your therapy technique. <laughs> Something that Kate and I talked about in a previous episode mm-hmm. was that I have read, like, so many articles. Mm-hmm. My mom was a huge believer that emotions manifest physically in general Mm -hmm. so that was like a big part of my life growing up Mm -hmm. um I have a sore throat are you speaking your truth (laughs) I have like a bloody nose like or I hit my head right in between my like what foresight are you missing Mm -hmm. stuff like that you know last week yeah episode I literally woke up with a pain in my chest and I was like I don't know I think I might have pulled something or I have a bruise on my sternum I literally went to Mel's house and she was like do you want a muscle relaxer like what's do you need some Advil and I was just like I don't know and then I cried in Mel's arms and Mm -hmm. got some emotion out and Mm -hmm. the pain went away it's like the most insane thing ever. Yeah. It's absolutely nuts. It's, it's crazy. incredible. But I, it's incredible. I got to your house and I was just like, I know. Oh, no. <laughs> like, something is not like, right. I was like, I lean over in my boobs and I Like, I'm trying to figure it out. Anyway. Yes. I know. And I, I think, like, something we talked about before was that um, something my mom used to tell me is that, like, trauma, you tend to hold trauma in your shoulders and your hips. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, do you see that? like theme in your patients that Mm. there's a lot of stagnancy in your I would even generalize it I would just say like trauma exists inside of the body wow full stop like and yeah and rather than saying like everyone's trauma is in these spaces like I want people to or I at least invite people to be really curious about like where do you feel that in your body like what wisdom does that hold like Mm -hmm. and also the the acknowledgement too Well, I'll even rewind a little bit. Um, Something that I was exposed to in my somatic psychology program is that the like the etymology of the word emotion comes from Latin e mover, and so e is like to move out or to move away from, and then mover is to move. Mm -hmm. So like emotion is to move things through the body, to like move it out of the body. So the more that we can like normalize that these emotions are not stagnant. So so many of my clients are like. I'm afraid of feeling sad because I don't want to get stuck there. I don't want to wallow in it, right? I don't want to never feel sad, never feel happiness again. And, you know, I validate that there is this idea of like, if I, if I let myself feel sad, then I am stuck inside of a sad bubble and like a sad box and I can't do anything. And I really try to like reframe it around, like, I promise you inevitably all emotions will shift and change, mm-hmm. even joy, 
right? Like no matter how much we try to cling and hold on to joy, that's inevitably going to shift and change as well. So I get more curious instead around like, where do people actually experience things in their body? What is it like? Is it throbbing, pulsing, sharp? Is it tender, achy? Um, Does it feel better with breath? Does it feel more constricted with breath? Does it um, like really just starting to facilitate that like we aren't just brains walking around? Like we, (laughs) we have bodies, they offer us wisdom too. Um, and my like deep belief as a therapist and as a, as a human is that like, if our brains offer us insight and information, awesome. And our bodies also offer us insight and information. Why not use both to provide insight and information to help us like feel more? Mm-hmm. Um, one of my like beloved, beloved teachers was one of my first yoga teachers in college. Her name's Jessica Patterson. And one of her teachers, Mark Whitwell, he always said, feel better to feel better. As in feel more deeply, be with whatever it is you're feeling and be with it unapologetically in order to actually feel better. So the more that we stuff things down and, you know, try to neglect these parts of us that we're ashamed of or we're afraid of or we think is too messy and clunky, like the more distress we create when in actuality, if we give our sadness and we give our grief the proper amount of time to be with it and like, and to build a relationship with respect, like I respect my grief. Do I hate it sometimes? Yes. <laughs> right. I hate it. You know, and there are other times where like, I even hesitate to say it. And there are times in which I love my grief because it is who I am. It has made me who I am. Um, it is a part of me. I don't pretend to segment that part out. I have been impacted by it. And one of my big, 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 big lessons of grief over these years is like, let life change you. Like, Mm. let grief change you. And if we pretend like grief doesn't change us, it will change you anyways. Mm. And you just haven't acknowledged it. Mm -hmm. And so the more that I actually create this relationship where I let the grief change who I am and how I speak and how I show up and how I am in partnership and how I want to be a mom and all of these things, like I'm actually allowing space for myself to be impacted and be changed by it. And then all of a sudden, like the grief doesn't feel so, so consuming or so scary. Like I said, don't love it. (laughs) Wish there were other ways of like, you know, self-knowledge that I could have come to without losing my mom. Right. Like I don't, I don't ever glorify. I'm not like, thank goodness my mom died. Right. So I'm so clear about that with people where I say like, yes, I believe that grief is a tool to access self-knowledge and I would choose my mom anytime, anytime. I would rather be you know, <laughs> yeah, failing in so many other ways in my life and my mom was here, great. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. And so if I can become a little bit more intimate and um, like intimate with reality as it is, that's another kind of Mark Whitwell saying, then the more that I can have some ease and be like, okay, well, this did happen. And what now? Mm-hmm. Mm. I feel that so significantly because I, that's, that's something that I, don't necessarily grapple with, but I do find to be interesting about my grief is in many ways, I'm really grateful for it because I have become a massively better person mm-hmm. after my mom has passed. And I think a lot of it has to do with who my mom was too, because she just, I know that a lot of the stuff I've kind of started to do and, you know, moving my body has been a huge part of it. And mm-hmm. <laughs> this is going to sound really odd, but sometimes I have to like put myself in physical pain yeah. in order to cry. Yeah. Like I went to the doctor for like a checkup and I, there was like a painful part of it mm-hmm. and I had a complete breakdown mm-hmm. afterwards. Yeah. And like sometimes when I go on runs, 
and I like start to really have like a cramp or something, it makes me cry. And I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yes. It's getting out Move of here. Move it out. Not- yeah. Yeah. But it is kind of funny because I've just done so many things since my mom has passed. I know she would just be so stoked for me yeah. for, and I, I think um, I've been able to do a lot of that mm-hmm. because she's behind the scenes motivating mm-hmm. me somehow, you know? I don't know what it is. Yeah. And I think it's maybe just because I was her daughter of just like, well, I'm not going to do what you want when you're alive because <laughs> you can't tell them what to do. <laughs> and now that she's gone, I'm like, oh, you might have been right. Uh, okay, I'll do it. Oh, yeah. yeah, so yeah. hard. Yeah. It is super interesting, so though, hard. how you can just I'm, – I'm a better person. Mm-hmm. I really am. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes to deal with that because I'm like, gosh, I wish she were here to see it. Exactly. And I wish I could have figured this out while she was still alive. Mm-hmm. But – here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and like, what a beautiful both and, right? I'm mm-hmm. a better person and I miss the shit out of my mom. 100%. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, both are true. Neither's negated. Both are valid. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we get to just, like, let them coexist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not like, I'm a better person and so I'm so glad this happened. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know? I'm yes. a better person and, you know, I miss her. And I would all. choose her every time. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. All mm-hmm. the damn time. All the time. Yep. It's grief itself is such is such a paradox. Mm-hmm. Kate and I have talked a lot about how recently in our lives we have seen the similarities drawn between grief and love mm-hmm. and how they're connected mm-hmm. and how they coexist with each mm-hmm. other and they're a part of each other. And with one, you're always going to get the other. Mm-hmm. And it's really powerful, I think, when you're retrospective about how it's played a role mm-hmm. in your progress too. Yeah. Do you, I know you talk a lot about being Mm -hmm. retrospective, about your grief and who you are and who you've become. And do you find that the more that time passes, it's like a scar healing over over and over Mm -hmm. and over again? Or do you feel like the scar rips off and then heals again? If that makes sense. It's kind of like a... Let me, let me feel into that for a second. Um, Hmm. I almost like I so from my lived experience of it, like I I don't kind of conceptualize it as like a wound that's healing okay. or anything. So that's why it's interesting. Like I you know from my lived yeah. experience of it, I don't have that. Okay. Um, and like I said, to me that something that's been helpful in my lived experience of grief is that more of like relationship, relationship. kind of metaphor. Um, and like I said, some days it is a demanding creature that I wish did not exist, and you know, and mm-hmm. I like and I have a lot of. Um, you know, like it's contentious. It's like, oh no, go go away. Um, but I don't. Well, like I said, that it just kind of it changes form and it'll come back in a different way for me. So that's actually kind of the the metaphor and the languaging that I use. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just that's inside of my body and inside of my like lived experience of it. Um, and one other thing I'll add is like, I do think grief and love are so interconnected with one another. And one of my you know, people, at least in my experience, have sent like books and articles and things like, you know, to support and some have been helpful, some haven't and whatever. <laughs> and we're all different. Um, and therefore, our experience of grief is different. And one of the most profound quotes I have found in eight years is by um, Adrian Marie Brown. And they said, so simple, grief is gratitude. And to me, like that has been the through line where I'm just like, okay, like when I have a, like a, a surge in my body of grief where I feel like maybe sick or like upset stomach or I feel like ragey, like I want to squeeze something. Um, it's not that I like try to quiet any of those feelings. It's usually just after something that kind of softens the like emotionality and the like intensity of it is this reminder of like grief is gratitude. And I'm so grateful for every single moment that I had with her that like 
like I said, it doesn't, it doesn't negate the fact that all of this is hard and I wish it didn't happen and all of these things. Um, and to me, like grief is gratitude and I am, I, I will be infinitely grateful forever for everything that my mom instilled in me and how she impacted me and my brother and my dad and my family and my life and all of the things. And so for me, that's what like rings true inside of like, inside of my body, inside of my bones. Um, and I think it's really powerful and important for everybody to develop some metaphor and some way in which they conceptualize their own grief because oh. there is no, like, no wrong way to grieve. I believe it. Even if somebody pushes it down and doesn't talk about it, like, I might encourage them as a therapist, like, hey, you know, I might coach them a little bit into, you know, potentially looking at it. Mm-hmm. And it's not wrong. Like, there's no wrong, no wrong way to do mm-hmm. it, genuinely. So I think giving people just a lot of space to like be in their experience and trust that like their body has some wisdom, their pacing has some wisdom, their processes around how that they how they sit with their grief has some wisdom. Great, mm-hmm. you know, like great. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's, you know, with with all of it, I feel like grief is internal more than it is a force that's outside of us. And I think that before I grieved like my first loss of a loved one mm-hmm. I had imagined grief as like the five stages mm-hmm. like these big clouds that yeah. come over and rain on you and then they pass and then the next <laughs> cloud comes and it rains on you and it passes and grief is just like this swirling cloud visiting it's not inside of you and so, it comes back. Right. <laughs> so I feel like having a metaphor to be able to because I know for me like mine is like grief is like my little creature mm-hmm. put it in its cage yeah. sometimes, yep. sometimes I let it live to. there <laughs> I was telling my therapist and like grief is locked up for the rest of the week yeah. I'm exhausted <laughs> <laughs> yep. mom needs a nap like I don't know <laughs> it can stay in its cage for the rest yes. of the night yes. um so I, I agree with you mm-hmm. that it's so powerful to have that kind of metaphor so that you can visualize it and almost see it as even though it's internal you can see it outside of yourself mm-hmm. almost so it's yeah. easier to work around it's yeah. easier to move with and, mm-hmm. and understand conceptualize mm-hmm. because grief is so complicated and like you said different for every mm-hmm. single person so to be able to have a visualization kind of helps you understand what about it is personal to you yeah and it's just a bunch of colors that, yeah, and, and yours are color. so impressive. Great. I have a lot of colors going on yeah. with my grief. Yeah. Yeah. That's... It's so interesting. It's kind of cool. It is really it cool. It is cool, because it's just, I mean... It I'd just... love to take a collection of, like, yeah. an anthology mm-hmm. of grief. Totally. It would be so interesting. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, you know, it's just... We've said this a thousand times, but, you know, grief is synonymous with life, mm-hmm. and you can't have one without the other. Yeah. And I think that's such a cool way of looking at it, of... Well, my grief looks like this, but it's the same as my life looks like this. Mm-hmm. this. This is how I choose to live my life. This yeah. is how I look at things and how I have my morals and my values and the way I see the world. And it's it's the same exact thing with grief. Like, mm-hmm. my grief looks like this, and this is the way I let it have space and the way yeah. I let it breathe. And it's it's just really cool talking to other it's people so about cool. their mm-hmm. grief because it's, it's all different. It's Exactly. It's really cool. Do you want to share a little bit about how you conceptualize it through color? Sure. <laughs> this is actually, I got this from therapy. Okay, right now, my my grief is, uh, I don't know, it's a little bit, it's kind of like a, like a sunset. Like, it's a little bit sunset right now. There's some really nice parts of it, and I can tell there's going to be a new dawn coming. Like, there's, but there's clearly some sort of shift and there's some sort of change right now and Mm -hmm. it's a little bit you know darker over there because I'm 
there's some anticipation, there's some, mm-hmm. some fear about what could happen when these new changes come, and yet it's absolutely vibrant and colorful and like pinks and reds and oranges because I'm excited and I'm so excited for what's to come. But that's, that's kind of what it looks like right mm-hmm. now. And, oh, and that's really that. helpful for me to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. keep things moving. And, and I really, <laughs> it's kind of, all, all three of us are very, <laughs> like, <laughs> it is really funny, like, all this whole time we've been talking, whenever each of us talk, you can't see, obviously, this is a podcast, but we use our hands a mm-hmm. lot. <laughs> all of us have been, like, very yeah. much, like, yeah, moving around. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's so cool because I do think that's, you know, being stagnant, it really does make your grief stagnant mm-hmm. and it's really difficult it to really does get let things move if you don't mm-hmm. thank you around. for sharing yeah <laughs> I, I see like and how profound that it's like we all conceptualize it so differently we all move it differently we all we all are with it differently mm-hmm. right and like and that's what I mean is like I think that there are no yeah there's like no set way to do it um mm-hmm. so like my biggest like piece of quote unquote advice is like be curious. Like what does your mm. what does your grief I love demand? That. Like what is it asking for? You know, like is it mm-hmm. asking that like, okay, I like I sit with some paints and I color and then I get to feel like a somatic sensation of what it's you know, what it's asking of me or mm-hmm. um and that's why like my yoga practice was integral because I got to move my body, I got to feel the amount of times that I would like pause a yoga class or be honestly in a public yoga class, but I would pause and just be crying mm-hmm. and, you know, crying in Shavasana and exerting effort felt good. Sometimes the lightness felt good. And so like, thank you for sharing. Cause it's just so fun to just keep reconceptualizing the ways that we understand and the ways that we're in relationship with such a powerful emotion. Mm-hmm. It is. It's, it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really cool. It's really cool. <laughs> like, honestly, it's kind of cool. It is. It's transformative. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. More and more professionals are understanding it that mm-hmm. way too, besides yeah. therapists and counselors and people yeah. who have grieved. Like, mm-hmm. for example, Kay and I talk about this a lot that her grief shows up in her body where she has to release mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And I have the experience that I am calming and recentering mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. because my grief is already out there. Yeah. You know, I'm a very. I love hit workouts. Mm-hmm. I love to run. I love to feel that like push and sometimes it's too much and I have to rein it in. And I recently had um, an experience of just six months where it felt like pins and needles mm-hmm. over my entire body, my my pelvis, my mm-hmm. legs, my feet, my arms, everything was tingly and numb. And I went through all of these blood tests and mm-hmm. x-rays and MRIs and like we found that, you know, I have disc desiccation, blah, blah, blah. But the doctor kept saying, the, this doctor I finally went to, this spine specialist, I don't think that's the cause mm. of your tingling. And he's a spine specialist. He's an MD. I feel like you don't really hear that a lot. And he asks me, kind of a similar situation, have you experienced anything traumatic in the past few years? Yeah. And this was also immediately after finding out my dad has cancer too oh, and no. um, selling his house. And I was like, well, how much time do you have? Do you want me to write it down? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you want the spark notes version or do you have six hours? Like... And he immediately asked me if I do mindfulness meditation, which I thought was so cool. Yes. And he started talking to me about pain therapy and how pain therapy – kind of conceptualizes what um, what it might look like in your body yeah. and how to address it there. And um, he actually, you know, advised that I do a couple different things um, in order to recenter myself. And then I haven't been numb or tingly for like nine months or something. 
You <laughs> heard most, it here. <laughs> yeah, the most wonderful, incredible experience oh. finding how grief, grief really does demand to be moved. Mm-hmm. It, it cannot stay in one place, and yeah. it won't. Yeah, it won't. whether or not you acknowledge exactly. that, exactly. <laughs> it's moving. That's true. And all the whether pow. you choose to move it or not, yes, it's find a way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, I find it so fascinating. Well, I'm yeah. so glad that you had a doctor who was like, "Let's talk about mindfulness meditation." Yeah, like, really incredible. Grateful. Incredible. I had mm-hmm. the chills yeah. as he asked me that. I was like, "Oh, got it. Okay, God, universe. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, heard. got the check in. <laughs> Thank you, body." <laughs> and he described it in a way of like you know your body demands for you to notice things like if you kick your foot your toe's gonna hurt yep and if you're not addressing the grief you're not addressing the fact that it needs to be moved mm-hmm. you're he told me your body's signaling you that mm-hmm. there's some stuff to be moved mm-hmm. throughout it mm-hmm. so it's up to you if you decide yes. to, to work on that but I think that's what's happening so it's just mm-hmm. fascinating yeah. thanks for sharing yeah. oh, I get so I get so like excited yes. um yeah just like so excited to once again just like hear how people conceptualize it hear how people move through it um and I'm excited too to hear that there are other providers like a spine specialist right who is yeah. like a little bit more of like a holistic understanding of how I mean, grief will, will change a person and let it change you, spine included. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Well, do you have anything else you want to say? Just huge thank you. Um, I, yeah, I, like I said, I mean, I'm coming up on eight years and there are definitely times where my grief and my relationship with my grief is that it's pretty backgrounded. Um, it's been, you know, it's had these resurgences as I, you know, try to create a family and it's, it's more backgrounded than previous years. And so it's been this like really profound and insightful experience to, you know, think a little bit this week about what do I want to say and what do I want to share? And once again, like grief demands to be seen. And so having it seen and heard and, and held in this way, Mm -hmm. like actually feels like my body feels a sense of ease, like my belly feels soft. And, um, so just a big thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much really. for being here. What an honor. Seriously. We say this every time, but just learned so much. I just learned so much today. And just, I know that, you know, people who listen to this are going to feel the same way that we all feel right now. It's just like being held and, and just knowing that there is space and there's different ways to address your grief and, and like mm-hmm. you said, have a relationship with it. Mm-hmm. And it just is... It's just nice. <laughs> it's it's it the is. club. Yeah, it's the club. It's, it's yeah. the club. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Community club. is integral it in is. the grieving process. It is. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe that any emotional experience, like it is just, it feels easier and more easeful mm-hmm. in community. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. You don't have to do anything alone. Mm-hmm. Reach out for support. There's support. Reach out. It's <gasps> worth it. Yes. So worth it. Beautiful. It's incredible. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> we cried wow. so much. All right. So we hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as we did and learned as much as we did. Um, I'm really excited to re-listen to it all and kind of soak that back in. And we do have a tool for you mm-hmm. for your tool belt this week. That is kind of goes along with what Meredith was saying. We challenge you to try to identify where you feel your grief when you feel it. And it may not always be in the same place, but also identifying how it feels in your body, location in your body, what makes it feel less painful, less heavy, really identifying the physical part of feeling grief so that you're able to understand where it is and maybe then you can move your body 
or stretch your body or release or or something that helps you you feel physically better when you're in a grief spell. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That is something that I did not realize was a thing really until we, we like talked and we had like an episode and I was like, well, yeah, this is where you, I was like, what? <laughs> but even without knowing that I felt it a ton in my hips and my shoulders. Um, and I, I know I've talked about this before, but when I was kind of in the, in the pit of despair and had to figure out how to get out of it, I, I started each morning with a stretch and sweat is what I called it. So I would get up and get on my yoga mat. And I would sometimes do yoga, but oftentimes not. I would just stretch everything that felt tight, and I would do three sun salutations, and I would end my stretching session with my mantra, which is, God is within me, God around me, spirit throughout me. I will complete this day in balance and love. And if I felt like I needed something else, I would say, I will complete this day in balance, love, and gratitude, balance, love, and determination, whatever I kind of feel like I needed for that day. And that totally set my mornings right, and also... Um, it's also the law of physics, a body motion stays in motion and a body at rest stays at rest. And so once you start moving, it's a lot easier to continue to move. And that, those tight spots, kind of like the Wizard of Oz, the Tin Man, once you grease those spots, you Mm. just, it gets a lot easier to keep them moving. So yes, yeah. How about you? Yes. How do you move your grief? Yeah. My grief is a little different because of who I am as a person, which we've talked about a little bit in that one episode when we talked about this, but I usually have to like bring myself down. So I tend to do like some yoga as well, but, um, at night before I go to bed, a lot of stretching for sure. Also just, um, meditation, Mm -hmm. trying to bring everything down, calm my body down Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I tend to get amped up. I'm always on the go, 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 go. And then it's when I stop that everything hits me. So stretching has helped me a lot. Um, I really want to try smashing stuff. Oh my God, it's awesome. That sounds like the best idea ever it's to awesome. just get everything out of you, you know? Mm-hmm. And then running. Running has always been my go-to for oh, dealing with my grief since the first loss I experienced. It's just mm-hmm. a place where it's you and your thoughts. Nobody mm-hmm. else is counting on you. You and you, you're powering your own body. When you stop, your body stops. So that's something that really brings me to that kind of calm, peaceful state too. There you go. There we go. Find your thing. Mm-hmm. Let us know because we're so curious. Don't get downtrodden if the thing that works for people, other people doesn't work for you. Yeah. Because you you got to figure it out. And, you know, I used to love swimming and I still do love swimming because that's one of those things where it's basically meditation because you don't really think about much. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it'll take time to figure out. But also like, I don't know, like sometimes when I'm feeling a little bit like bummed out, I will literally go to a park and sit on a swing and just swing. Yeah, we've done <laughs> that literally done together. That and <laughs> it feels good. So figure out the thing where you can move and you can move the grief within you. That makes it just a little bit easier to, mm-hmm. you know, push it out of you or um, easier to figure out where it is inside of you and then kind of like ease those aches a little bit. Yeah, so, yeah. absolutely. And just like nature and vitamin D always help. So true. So if you can do something outside, even if it's just standing there soaking in sun mm-hmm. with sunscreen, maybe <laughs> yeah. just do, do something that can bring you a little bit of serotonin. Just picture yourself like a house plant, <laughs> drink water, get sunshine. Yes. Clean air is always good. Yes. You just need a little bit of tender living care. That's that is exactly, that's all you need. 
all you need. Or pretend you're your favorite puppy. Okay. Yeah. Treat yourself the way you would treat <laughs> your favorite puppy. Go get that puppuccino. That's right. Go get it. Go get it. <laughs> and if you're able to figure out where in your body you're feeling your grief, sometimes you're able to recognize that it's grief and that there's not anything wrong with you. Because something that happens, at least to me, is I'll be like going – like yesterday I had the best day of my life, so much fun. And then today I'm – just like barely hanging on and my initial thought is like great I'm relapsing with my depression what's going on why am I feeling this way I have no reason I'm gonna fail at work now because I'm so distracted I didn't work out today and it becomes a spiral instead of knowing okay like I feel like I have a fever even though I don't have a fever but like my skin hurts to touch and I feel like I want to throw up and everything feels heavy and I'm talking slower oh that's my grief Like those things are typical signs of me feeling my grief. So instead of feeling like what's wrong with me, what did I do wrong? Why am I slipping? It's, oh yeah, this is just something that sticks with me and comes up every now and then. So it can also help like not um, rationalize what's going on with you, but understand that. Identify. Mm -hmm. Yeah, identify and understand that it's, it's okay that it keeps coming up. It's not something that's happening to you as much as it may be something that's happening within you. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, um, let us know what your favorite way to move your grief is because we mm-hmm. always could use more tips and tricks. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. <laughs> and as we always say, it is what it is. And it's okay to not be okay. See you next week. Cheers. <laughs>